podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. to the chills. Yes, it's that time of year again. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas when we get lots of lovely football all wrapped up in beautiful blue and white wrapping paper and hopefully we'll get a few good results. Well, it's been a funny old start to Christmas and someone who will absolutely have something to say about it is our very own Andy Santa Claus. How are you, Mr. Christmas? I'm I'm good. I'm in the Christmas spirit. Are you? Are you are you all Christmased up down your way? Yeah, I, it, it's co- with your tiny, teeny, tiny little Christmas tree. Yeah, my teeny tiny. It's perfect. It's uh, it it makes no sense. Why have you got such a tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny little Christmas tree? It's honestly, it's about a foot tall. Yeah, well, it's a strange Christmas. We don't need a bigger one. We're not seeing anybody. It's just the two of us. It sits in the corner beautifully. It's all blue, so you know it's got the Chelsea star on top, as Are I you call just it. Too mean to buy a proper Christmas tree. No, is that what it is? No, I've, I've I've never been one for huge Christmas trees. You know that comes out of living in small flats most of my life until we moved here and um yeah, I just got used to them I, you know I, they're there it's a very beautiful one and if you say anything rude about it my wife Jackie will probably kill you because she decorated well, <laughs> it rather beautifully well I think it's beautifully decorated I just think it's small in stature and I want to put it on the record that I'm disappointed with it really but you know I mean you're I suppose you know if a man like you who who prefers things like gold taps and what have you and prefers the ostentatious way of life um yeah I should imagine your tree is probably bigger than your house I mean you've got a very small Christmas tree, but a massive cock. So, you know, I mean, I don't understand the disparity. Well, there, there you go. I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Um, have, you bought your, have you bought your massive cock yet? Is it, is it ready to go or do you have to pick it up? Uh, I have to get it on Christmas Eve. Oh, do you? Yes. Right, okay. For anyone who thinks, good Lord, this podcast is disgusting. Um, yeah, it actually can be. Um, but uh, yes, we're talking about cockerel because we are having cockerel for Christmas uh, lunch this year because they are fantastic. If you've never tried it, I mean, they're like supercharged chickens. Have you ever tried them in your previous uh, meat eating days, Andy? I haven't. Why don't people eat them more then if they're so fantastic? Uh, because they don't. There are not so many to be bought. Um, 
there, there just are less of them available. Uh, it's it's expensive. It's the same price as a turkey, pretty much. Um, mm. You know, it, it's it's the country way. Apparently, uh, a lot of people have turkey, but in the country, a lot of people also have cockerel. So, yeah, I, I think it's a local thing, really, for for people who live rurally. Um, but it is it's a well kept secret, and apparently, cockerel used to be a Christmas dish for many many moons. So, yeah, we, we tried it last year and I was absolutely gobsmacked at how gorgeous it was. I mean, turkey's all right, but to be honest, there's not that much flavour with it. It's it's a ritual, isn't it, turkey? Mm. Well, as you know, I'm a vegetarian, but I, I ate meat for many years and uh, I, I like turkey. I like the ritual of turkey. I like the um, the versatility of it, of um, of all the things you can do with it, with pies and curries and all that kind of stuff after Christmas. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess I, to be honest, I've forgotten what meat tastes like, so um, I should be having a disappointing nut roast, no doubt. But uh, that's the lot of a vegetarian on Christmas Day. What does your Christmas Day look like? Are you like the Royals? You get up, go to church, bit of carol singing, um, and, you know, jump in a frozen lake, and what, what do you do? Or do you just sit up and, and watch the Only Fools and Horses Christmas specials from years past? What do you do? Uh, probably none of those things. Um, right. I, I don't know. We'll we'll. we'll get the uh get the uh the uh food on the go really early um it's all about the food for you isn't it yeah absolutely F- food's a lovely part of the day you know i mean i've cut back on so many things that i eat. i'm i'm really looking forward to this you, you know uh, we i don't eat things like potatoes anymore but we are going to make an exception for for christmas day so i'm going to be i'm curious to see if i still think they're fantastic and not having really eaten them in two years or whatever or not since last christmas pretty much so yeah, yeah. I, I, the food um i don't know i i don't know how I'll, I'll view christmas this year it's such a weird thing um you know it's just you and jackie this year is it yeah it is and lulu our little dog um yeah it's just us uh we we just think it's better to just stay cl- stay at home and and keep it you know uh, closed off, really. Uh, it seems mm. like the most sensible way. Um, and that's going to be the same for a lot of people. Making yeah, it is. So, you know, I, I feel for everyone who can't meet up with family. You know, uh, I don't have any family um, left alive, really, in this country. In, my only relatives are over in Australia. And we're going to have our first ever attempt at a Christmas Zoom call. So that will be part of Christmas. So that should be quite fun. Um, oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. And what about you? Jackie's. Sorry, go on. Uh, Jackie's family are in Spain, aren't they? So. Yes, they are. So we'll we'll catch up with them. So, mm. you know, I mean, Zoom has changed the landscape, I think, for so many people. It's, it's ironic that uh, Zoom stepped in where Skype had kind of control of everything. Um, mm. and, and Zoom seems to have become the word uh, mm. uh, and seems to have done a very, very good job at uniting people in such difficult times. Because there is nothing better than seeing somebody at least on your screen. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, those of us that do a million Zoom calls a day are pretty over Zoom. But it's uh, yes, you're right in terms of uh, making making the world smaller uh, and, and seeing people and, uh, and being able to do that with friends and family. I, you know, yes, I absolutely agree. Um, but it's become a massive work thing as well. Of, so, of course, but the, you know, it, a bit of a bit of a busman's holiday uh, in some ways. But it's a bit, yes, of course, it is lovely if your if your family are not 
able to see you or you them it's a it's an amazing thing you can't deny that no absolutely and that's the thing i mean hell what, what a job they've done they've managed to make it work for business and for pleasure and it and it suits both camps so yeah yeah you know it, it's easy to use everything about it you know i'm not being a zoom advocate here because actually i use skype a lot as well and other I, video platforms are available exactly <laughs> absolutely so so yeah i mean we we do you you will have your family over will you how how does it work for you this year well, it's difficult isn't it it's going to be very difficult it's my worst birthday on christmas day because the whole the um the whole lockdown thing hasn't gone down well in our house um but you know it's been my wife my daughter uh, my dogs. Um, it'll be a quiet Christmas for us as well. Um, but uh, that, that's no bad thing in some ways. I think we just got to get through this one and uh, and move forward and, and hope that the new year brings us a little bit more hope and cheer than this one has. Do you know what I think we should do? I had this idea. When everyone is vaccinated, we should have a second Christmas Day announced and we create a new Christmas Day, especially for coming out of the, the COVID world. What do you think? Well, that, well, yeah, I can see the sense in that. And certainly I think there's going to be parties and people getting together and it'll probably be barbecues in the summer and, and, and all that kind of stuff. You see, as I say, you know, my wife's birthday is on Christmas Day and we've always said to her, you should have, like the Queen, another birthday in June. You know, you should have, uh, you know, another birthday because we can't have a party for you on Christmas Day and we can't, you know, everybody forgets to buy you a birthday present or they give you one present and say it's for both things. You know, it's a, it's pretty miserable having a birthday on Christmas Day. But, you know, but but why don't you have one in the summer? She's like, well, it wouldn't be the same. So she doesn't, you know, and I think people will feel the same way. I think they'll just have another big celebration when we can do this and and you'll see i think a, a big uptick in people going out and seeing people and hopefully you know helping the hospitality industry and those other industries that have really suffered by getting together and celebrating i, I hope i hope that's what happens well good i'm i'm advocating a summer christmas then and uh, yeah it can only do but help everyone and, and of course the australia the australians have a summer christmas don't they if you're listening in australia it's 30 degrees and you're all you know putting shrimp on the barbie on the beach on Christmas Day, which is a, a kind of a strange concept, but there you go. <laughs> it is indeed. And, and the last point about Christmas and presents, I've always maintained anyone who has a birthday in and around Christmas does suffer because I don't believe you get the same level of presence as a, a double present. Does that work in your house? or do, do you Well, think it has to work. It has to work from me. I have to, I'm under huge pressure to deliver, um, but, you know, not from anybody else. I mean, the big thing, I think, for, for anybody that's got a birthday around Christmas is don't forget their birthday card, because that's what people do. You know, because it's Christmas, they completely forget, and so you end up without any birthday cards, and there's hell to pay if I don't remember the birthday card, but everything else is, you know, it's just a, a military operation from about September onwards. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, all we can say from the Chelsea's on Christmas Day, happy birthday, Karen. That's... And well, and also happy Christmas to everybody out there, and you know, and, and it's been a miserable year, and I hope that you can find some some peace and happiness uh, over the Christmas period. And, and as I say, let's all look forward to a much better and optimistic new year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, that's the optimism over for this week. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to talk about what we've just watched for the last week. So, um, okay, look, we we came out of the Everton game bit deflated it didn't quite happen it was mm, okay we didn't seem right and then we got to Wolves and we were kind of hopeful that something would happen Wolves had lost two on the bounce and we thought well okay this is a perfect opportunity to play them 
didn't quite pan out like that. Uh, the side was, well, pretty much, did you think it was what you expected? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, the back the back five picks itself, doesn't it? Mendy, James, Zuma, Silver, Chilwell. Uh, the midfield was Havertz, Kante and Mount. I guess the only the only sort of variable in there was Havertz, whether that would have been Kovacic. Um, but he went for Havertz. And then up front, uh, Werner and Pulisic, either side of Giroud, who had definitely earned his place as the starting striker. So, no, no real surprises there, I have to say. OK, I, I want to open this conversation up. And it's not what I think. It's what uh, somebody, a friend of mine, was talking about. That actually the worst thing that's happened to Chelsea at this moment in time is that Giroud scored a hat-trick and suddenly became undroppable, and that actually affects the way Frank really wants the side to play, that it, it stops the certain fluidity that he is seeking to play ultimately. My thoughts are, OK, it may park some of his principles at the door, playing with a striker like that, but it's, he's not going to be here forever, so why not make the most of him and his potential goals? But it does change the way we play, doesn't it? It does. Um, I think the point on that is, is Frank ruthless? Is he single-mindedly ruthless about picking a team for a particular game? Or does he sort of look to pressure a little bit when people do well? Now, the, the other counter-argument to that is why drop a player that's in form that's scoring goals? And you can't argue with the fact that Giroud is scoring goals. And that's what you want from a striker, isn't it? So it's fairly obvious that you pick him. The other way of looking at it is to say, well, sometimes you have to be ruthless and, and, and pick a team according to the game. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it, I don't know where I stand on it, really. I think in this particular instance, you couldn't drop Giroud because he was in such a rich vein of, uh, vein of form. Um, but in this particular game, I, I just think that maybe it, you know, it didn't, didn't really work out maybe as, as well as it could have done. But, of course, he scored. So, you know, he scored after 49 minutes. So that's his job. That's what he's on the pitch to do. So I guess the argument is you've got to play him. <laughs> it is an interesting discussion, though, isn't it? Because it does change the fluidity, the way we play. But, invariably, if the ball gets in the box and he's in and around it, he gets on the end of it. He has... There, we have no one else like him in the club who can get in there and absolutely loves playing against big defenders. Um, he is muscle, he is brawn, but he's also a very intelligent player. But again, very different in the way he links up play to say how Tammy does it or Timo Werner. So he is a different option. Whether uh, Frank likes the intelligent battering ram actu in actuality, I'm not so sure. But I, I agree with you. Um, it, it's kind of a rob for your own back. If you keep saying... People can get into this side if they play well. Well, when they play well, then they have to get into the side. So, well, you know, he's he scored more goals for Chelsea in all competitions um, than anybody else, apart from Timo, who he's level with, and that's a conversation I'm sure we're going to have at some point. <laughs> you know, eight goals, um, and he scored six goals in his past four away games in all competitions. You know, so he's he's a he's banging form. 
Um, and you, you have to take that into account. You know, we've always moaned about strikers not scoring goals or strikers not getting on the end of things, and, you know, he has. And whilst it may be a head-scratcher in terms of, well, is, is this really the way that Frank wants to play? Doesn't he want to play with a really fluid front three that interacts and change and uh, and, and and baffle and bamboozle defences, or does he really want to play with a big man up front? Well, when the big man up front is scoring goals, don't really have a choice. No, exactly. That's what I mean. You, you back yourself into a corner, and perhaps Frank doesn't want to play like this but as you said is he ruthless enough to make decisions that perhaps defy certain immediate logics but anyway back back to the Wolves game um I don't know uh it there was something about it uh, I don't know how you felt but the performance felt disjointed it felt like an extension of the Everton game to me mm, it was very lacklustre uh, and Frank did say after the game that the, the team were suffering with a little bit of tiredness, and that was very evident. It was a very tired performance. There wasn't snap in the tackles. There wasn't there wasn't any kind of joy or swagger in the play. And that's been the case for the last three or four games. We just don't have that swagger that we had during the period of that 17-game run when we were steamrolling teams. It just feels like we are tired and slightly off the pace and just not at the races if that's not too many cliches in a sentence but it it just didn't it didn't feel right they didn't feel right at all do you think there is something and and people are starting to talk about it now and and we have mentioned this that do you do you feel that by the nature of the way football is this year we are going to because they are extraordinary circumstances and the way these teams play in empty grounds invariably okay you might get 2,000 people in which seems to actually make quite a difference um do you think we're seeing players being affected by it that actually there's never any lift from the crowd you know what it's like I mean I think of those days and nights at Chelsea when Chelsea aren't playing well at Stamford Bridge and you get that suddenly that low hum of Chelsea 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 and it just That's goes thank you sorry Enough singing. Thank well, you. no, nobody, but it's, nobody wants that in, yes, in the lead up do. to Christmas. Everyone wants it because we've all missed it. Um, but the point is that low hum of the 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 crowd imploring the team and willing them onto something to help them find another gear. There's no doubt that I think pretty much every team in in probably the world is being affected by this now. It's constant this battle to suddenly get onto a pitch and not think you're in a training game uh, I, I think we're, we're seeing how difficult it is for these players to to keep their their freshness about them no matter how good they are no matter how professional they are you've seen players perhaps not quite commit to tackles in the same way that they would in the past which of course if you don't commit to a tackle can also cause injury so I think that there's a there's a dynamic that we are, are starting to notice now now that we're in a, a few months into this season we're seeing football isn't quite right as the sport we know and love. Mm. Yeah, there's a couple of things in that. Y- yes, I think is the answer to, to 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 your overall question. I think it has affected players. It is interesting though that we talk about all the you know the crowd supporting the players at Stamford Bridge. To be honest, that hasn't happened for ages. 
the, the crowd at Stamford Bridge has been pretty rubbish. The singing at Stamford Bridge has been pretty rubbish. We know that. You and I know that, that the singing isn't there because of the makeup and the demographic of the crowd these days. With the, you know, with, for want of a, a sort of a lazy expression, tourists, you know, people that aren't died in the wall fans that have come along to the ground as, a, as, as, as an experience and they're not engaging in the singing. So singing at football grounds particularly at Premier League football grounds, isn't the same as it was some years ago. So let, let's not get go down that road too fully because we know it's a bit of a myth. Um, but yes, there is still singing and, you, and, and it is evidence when you have the 2,000 people in the ground that people do sing. Um, uh, but it isn't that kind of like that raw that people imagine it was. It wasn't. There was a lot of people there kind of passively sitting there on their phones watching the football. And maybe what this has done is is made people realise that football is interactive. It is something that the crowd needs to be part of. We are a big part of the experience. We are a big part of how players play. And hopefully that will provide a, a bit of a kickstart or a reboot of how we support our teams. Yeah, I, I I just think I agree with you on the singing front, but I'm saying in principle a crowd can lift a team. No, I, I, that, but that's what I said. Yeah. I, I totally I totally agree with your overall point. I think I think of course it does. You can't help but have the ebb and flow of a game dictated by the mood of the crowd. I, I totally get that. I just wish we did it more, and I wish we didn't have this kind of rose-coloured spectacle view of what the crowd have added in recent seasons because in my opinion it's been diminishing and the singing and the 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 passion of the crowd has diminished a lot and I think this is as I say an opportunity to get back to that because it is really important it can lift the players we still see it occasionally at big European nights midweek games under the lights we still see it occasionally when there's a uh, you know something at stake and and the crowd can play a part but you know there's too many Saturday afternoons at Stamford Bridge where it's been a a low hum of activity. You might as well have been sitting at Lords. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. Um, my my point is also though. Sometimes as a player, even if you're in a cauldron of an away game, that can help you raise a game because you go, we're in a game here. We've got to we've got to shut them up. We've got to do something. You you respond to to the stimuli of of people, even just people watching. Because let's face it, footballers as entities are, are show ponies a lot of them and they love showing their skills to people yeah. so, so i just think the my only issue is this like this word cauldron this own this that's my only issue you're absolutely right you know whether it's an away game or a home game premier league games don't have the level of passion the level of support that they used to have because of the nature of the premier league and the kind of people that go to the premier league that's my point your point your you know your your point about players feeding off the crowd I totally get I just wish it was more prevalent yeah I mean perhaps this is me wanting there to be more cauldrons that's what I'm saying that's what I'm saying this is what we want but it is a myth to think that it was a cauldron in recent years hasn't been no, but I, I'm I'm just talking about the principle of just be, I was using a word perhaps lazily to describe being in front of away fans who basically yes. are giving you I think, stick. I think I've, I think I've said that I, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, no, I I, yeah. I just think it's interesting that perhaps, and I think you alluded to this as well, perhaps people will realise just how much they've missed that when they end up going to football. Everyone come. Do you remember, you know, being on the, on the on the train? And maybe this is me being romantic or whatever, you know. And you'd be talking, and you'd have a hoarse throat because you'd been singing and shouting so much. And maybe, absolutely, and maybe absolutely, I totally remember that. And that, and that's kind of my point is, you know, that 
that's totally my point, is you should come away from a football match with a hoarse throat, you know, having screamed your head off positively and passionately for the whole game, not not screaming abuse and not being horrible and not saying terrible things, but, you know, being passionate about supporting your team, and I don't think we've done that in recent years. And my point, my real point is, let's get back to that. Let's not sit on our phones taking selfies, posting Instagram photos, and, and not engaging fully with the team. Let's come out after 90 minutes or however long a football match takes, having been transported for those 90 minutes and have, and, and have been part of a, 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 a whole that produces an incredible um, 90 minutes of entertainment and, and action and passion. Um, let, let's, do, let's get back to doing that and not for it to be a lean-back experience where we sit with our arms folded or on our phones living the the experience through a screen yeah i think this is an opportunity to to get back to that that's what i'm saying what we need to do is for everyone to do this for the love of football uh, and I, I agree with you so let's hope that perhaps it'll be sooner rather than later but um you know who knows who knows what the next day will bring never mind never mind uh next week or next month we can only live day by day at the moment so mm. so yes um okay uh there's someone we should probably have a chat about um wolves uh they they played a decent game and they stuck to their task and we seem to lose our way Quite often, as you said, the last few weeks has been going on. We were getting results and getting away with it. I don't think it's helped the injuries we've had. Just when you've seen a glimpse of certain players, they get injured. You know, with Zayek, with Pulisic, um, perhaps with Havertz. We saw some glimpses earlier in the season. Werner, well, he acts as though he may be injured. Again, let's just save him for the next... That's, that's harsh. Uh, no, but if, I, I don't mean that. That's not. a cheap shot. No, you know, but... He, <laughs> yeah, but, he, you know, he... I don't mean that. I mean, I don't know what I mean about Werner, because I feel really sorry for him. I like him because he seems all harsh. Heart, but it is just not going for him at the moment. It, it's not. It's a. It's a disaster for him at the moment. I don't think there's any. There's any getting away from it. You know. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's. It's. He's not in a good period, as um, you know, Carlo Ancelotti would say. Um, it, it's just not happening for him. But you know, strikers particularly go through streaks like this. You know, I think Mane didn't score for nine games before he got one for Liverpool at the weekend. You know, this is not unusual for strikers to go through, particularly strikers with big reputations like Timo, and particularly strikers that hit the ground running like he did. It's a bit head scratching. It hasn't worked for him. Maybe it's time to take him out of the firing line, just give him a little bit of a break and bring him on as an impact sub in some games and just let him find his feet a little bit because he himself has admitted that he's found adapting pretty tough yeah and well you can say what you want about the german league but this is a step up from that in the premier league there are no passengers every player in the premier league is good i don't have any truck with people that talk about you know rubbish players in the premier league you don't get to be a premier league footballer unless you're very very good and so if you're playing against that level of performance every week it's going to be a bit of a shock to the system if you're coming from a uh, a place where you've been a fairly big fish in a fairly small pond you know you you are now a very average fish in a very big pond and that's going to take a little bit of getting your head around as well as all the personal adaptations that you've got to make to where you live and how you interact and how you live out your days and let's remember footballers are people and people are complicated and sometimes it takes a little bit of time to 
get yourself into the right headspace to be able to do your job at the level that you were doing it previously. So I'm prepared to give Timo a little bit of time. But I think that, again, going back to Frank's ruthlessness, perhaps it's time to, as I say, take him out the firing line a little while and and just let him feel his way back in. Yes, I I would also say that um, I think Frank's mentality about the issue may be that he knows... A striker just needs suddenly one of those scruffy goals. It hits him on on the stomach or it hits him on the knee or whatever, Mm. you know, one of those jammy chances that just sets you off again. And maybe he's trying to play him to, to get there. I mean, we'll talk about the West Ham game soon because I think that was a classic case of if ever there was somebody who looked as though possibly they should be the ones being substituted through the second half, it looked like Timo. But Frank stuck with him, and as we know, uh, it nearly came good. But he had a bubble, uh, all those sort of things. Uh, I agree. I think Werner, m- my main worry for Timo at the moment is he hasn't found someone to play with in the team, if you know what I mean. At um, Leipzig, he played alongside often or he played left but he would work with the center forward the guy coming through a lot more and they'd have quite an understanding and I think by the nature of what's happening at the moment with Giroud in and then Tammy in he hasn't quite forged a relationship with the central person in the team at the moment and I I think once he does that and once he starts getting an understanding with one or both of them I think the goals will come more readily because at the moment you look at him uh, he is dropping back there was there was one moment yesterday where he dropped back to the middle of our half to pick up the ball and that's mm. always a sign of, of a, a man who's going, oh, God, I need to get in this game. I need to get something going. I'm not scoring. And, and that slightly concerns me. You, you know, we're, we're seeing relationships building up all over the place, in particular, Zayek and Rhys James. Now, they're both injured at the moment, but you've seen that sort of almost telepathic relationship they're, they're getting. For, for me, not only physically is Timo a bit stuck out on the left wing, he is also mentally sort of disjointed and removed from the rest of the team at the moment. And we need to find a way to really incorporate him and get people working off him. Because at the moment, I, I, I feel, I really feel for him. I'm not down on him. I'm, some of the stuff I've read this week is just ridiculous. That this yeah, well, ignore all that. Yeah, exactly. Ignore all that. I mean, but, don't, don't get dragged down those rabbit holes. You and, you and I know that Timo Werner is a very very class player and has proved it you know in one of the top leagues in Europe now I don't think it's as good a league as the Premier League but it's still a top league and he has his his personal stats are amazing and and will be again I think your point about forging relationships is incredibly prescient and I think that that is a key throughout the team you know when we were in the middle of our 17 game unbeaten run where things were going well you did see those relationships being formed you highlighted Zayek and and James and there were other midfield for example Mount and Kante were working very well together certainly the back four and the goalkeeper people were working very well together and it's those levels of partnerships and little relationships over the pitch that do work and I think I think that's a very acute observation about Werner being stuck out not just in in his position but in his place in the team and and Frank has to sort that out you know this is Frank's job to 
find a way to play to his players' strengths. If you've got a Rolls-Royce of a player like Timo Werner, or to a degree, well, to a big degree, Kai Havertz, you've got to find ways to integrate them in the team where they can have a real effect and not just marginalise them and put them in positions that are expedient, where you just need to have them. We have to find a way of playing Havertz as an 8 or a 10. We have to find a way of playing Timo. I don't mind him being on the left, but give him relationships and give him dynamics that he can work within if he's going to play in that position. This is Frank Lampard's job to do that. Not down on Frank. I think he's feeling his way through it, but we have to give those players time and the manager time to figure that out. Yeah, again, I I totally agree because Werner's also a different type of player to say a Pulisic who will go on the outside or cut on the inside. He's he's different to people on the right hand side who've got this this habit. You know, you know, Werner wants to actually find a way to get into the box from his position. That's mm. that's what he wants to do. So, and he does get into the box. Oh God! I mean, yeah. there's no. I mean, uh, you know, we have spoken in the past about the lack of movement from players. I mean, do you remember that period when Diego Costa was not attacking the ball and it was driving us mad and he was always on the penalty spot where he should have been driving into the into the six yard area there was a whole period when that was happening Torres was an absolute nightmare at it Shevchenko didn't have a clue by the time he came to us you know that our history of strikers is littered with top name players who come to this club and their movement just goes I don't think you can argue about Timo Werner's movement. His problem is he's finishing at the moment because he's snatching at chances or he's hesitating at chances. His movement is still supreme. Yeah, and and point in order from the West Ham game, and we'll talk specifically about the West Ham game after the break, but there were, there were a couple of times we were watching on telly and Werner just made these incredible moves when Jorginho was, was moving up with the ball and you suddenly saw him dart for a major run through two defenders and Jorginho just moved the ball slowly to the left or just in front of him to Kante when you would expect him to to be noticing these runs. So I think he's also, at this moment in time, not being picked up. Now, I'm not blaming Jorginho. Jorginho hasn't played very much and he hasn't played that much with Werner at the moment. So he's not understanding. Well, and, and in fairness, that long ball game over the top just didn't work. No, it didn't. And it was but, like one of the, you know, and, and you can't just keep pinging the balls over when you've got, you know, that level of huge defender, essentially man marking the, the you know, the front three. So yeah, I, I'm, I, I have a little bit of an issue with that, to be honest. Yeah, no, but what, what I'm saying is, uh, it, this is a reference to your point about his movement. Mm, he his doesn't, movement is very good. He doesn't stop moving. And actually, the times that he moved, maybe they were the times to play the long ball. Um, yeah. that, that's my, my issue is with long ball game, and, and you, you've mentioned it, and I know it bugs you. It bugs me a lot as well. But if you do it at the correct time, it can be brilliant. And we've seen it with Werner. Actually, if he'd have had a bit more luck, he'd probably be yeah, on 11. Kerry, or... I, I, I think it's a coulda, shoulda, woulda situation. Yep, that. But... Long ball, the long ball situation didn't work. Yes, of course, at the right time it works. So at the right time, everything works. Um, but you've just got to realise that, it, you know, ultimately what didn't work is transition. So unless you've got the transition, you're essentially booting the ball from the goalkeeper up when it's going to come straight back at you. And that's what was happening. It's all right saying the long ball from midfield. I mean, ultimately, that that wasn't going to work. So I honestly think it's a moot point. Mm. No, it's it's interesting. I, my my point is that he does he makes these diagonal runs, which a lot of people don't pick up. I think when we play the long ball, it's really kind of hopeless because I, I yeah. totally agree with you. I think that's what I'm saying. Our selection 
on when to do look at, it. Look at his height. Yeah. Look at his height. And then look at Ogbonna. Look at Declan Rice. Look at the other, you know, look at Sojcik. Look at the other players in that West Ham game around him. Unless, you know, that long ball is never going to work because he's never going to be able to win the ball in the air. Yeah, uh, You know, the ball is never... And, and, and where they're playing, in terms of their distance between them and the goalkeeper, it's never going to work, Kerry. I totally get your point about the runs. The runs are very good. And I tell you what, the key to that is Zayek. Zayek is the, is the key to that. Yeah. When Zayek is back and able to produce the the, the, the delivery, um, that, that's going to make a big difference. And that, that doesn't tend to be in the air. That's going to be in the channels. And that's where we weren't passing. So really, where your criticism should be is not the long ball. It should be, why aren't we transitioning to the point where we can play a ball through the channels to him? That's the issue. Yeah, but that's kind of what I'm saying. I'm not meaning the long ball from the keeper. I'm talking about when we're getting halfway up in midfield. Well, it's not a long ball then, is it? Well, it's, it's, a ball, it's, it's kind a ball of a, through the a ball through the channel or around yeah. the, you know, into the space behind. That's really what I'm saying, as opposed to the long ball. It's still yeah. a long okay, ball. Okay, well, that, but, that, yeah. that, that's fine. I don't think it's a long ball. That's not my definition okay. of a no, long ball. No, fair enough. So, but, but yes, but, but I take your point about his movement and I take your point about players not finding him, but I think that's a deeper problem of transition. And transition, when we go through through periods like this, has always been a boat. Long, long-term listeners will know that transition is a big bugmare of mine how do you get the ball from the goalkeeper to the to the to the front players um and when we're not when we're not whirring when we're not clicking when it's not happening that that is the problem with our whole game is that the three the three areas of our game defense midfield and attack are all playing in silos they're all playing in isolation and the ball just keeps coming back it's when we're pressing hard when we're forcing mistakes when we're in the first 15, 20 minutes of each of those games, whether it's Wolves or West Ham, we were pressing hard and then we dropped off. Now, whether that's a fitness issue or whether it's a tactical issue, I don't know. But once we drop off, suddenly we've got our backs to goal and we're having to play you know, with the, with the West Ham and the, and the Wolves players in front of us, passing the ball about and we're chasing shadows. And then we can't transition because we can't get on the ball. So I think this is a you know an issue that needs looking at generally. And, and some of that may be down to fatigue, it may be down to tiredness, or, or it may be down to something more fundamental about team selection or tactics i don't know we'll, we'll see it play out over the coming weeks but my theory is it's bad game management it, it's almost mm. trying to play that Mourinho style oh look we've got a goal well we'll just sit back and let them do it. now you could argue that, that you know that is a, a valid point but i think with the players we've got we're just inviting trouble a lot of the time so well it hasn't worked for Mourinho in the last couple of games has it no ex- well yeah but it it's a it's a hiding to nothing thing if the longer a game goes on without a goal in it then yeah the more likely you're going to end up with at least a draw but as soon as a goal comes in it will change the other side's mentality and then it's how you deal with it and sometimes i think with this team we haven't quite worked out what to do when we're 1-0 up uh, and I think that's that's down to Frank. He's got to decide and pass on the message to the team because it did seem you you saw the stats for whatever they were at, at one point. You know what was it? West Ham had eighty three percent of the ball in your game. Whoa, hold on, what's going on here for for about a ten fifteen minute period? So you know, any, any, anyway, we we should go back to the Wolves game, and I totally agree with what you're saying. But um, so lastly. Were you surprised when Wolves got the winner? Uh, surprised? Not really. I mean, there was a sort of crushing inevitability about it, wasn't there? You just felt that there could be something happen. Of course you're surprised if somebody scores in the 95th minute. You should be able to see that out. Um, but by that point, I just felt 
something was going to come. I think we all did. So, no, not surprised. Depressed, um, irritated, uh, slightly, you know, deflated, uh, but not surprised. Yeah, I think I texted you with about 10 minutes to go and said, would you take a draw? And I think you said... uh, I texted you and said, would you take a draw? Uh, I think it was the other way around. I think you said begrudgingly yes. No, I texted you and said, would you take a draw? And you said, would you? Oh, okay. Well, then. <laughs> and then you said, I think, begrudgingly, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and really, we would have, wouldn't we? <laughs> With hindsight now. But, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. It's, it, anyway, we move on. I think it's going to be an up-down year for not just us, for a lot of teams. So, you know... It, <laughs> Who knows where we'll end up. But look, Andy, we we should go to the break. And then when we come back, we should have a chat about the West Ham game. So here we go. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. So, after... You did say, you did say, would you take a draw? I just checked. That was you that said that, not me. Oh. I think I'd said it to my, to my, um, to my sons. That's where my confusion was. But no, you're right. And I said very reluctantly. Um, And that was about 10 minutes from the end. You're right. And, and so it just felt like we should have beaten a slightly depleted Wolves team that whose striker was still, you know, recovering, whose key goal scorer wasn't on the pitch. Um, but in the performance that we that we put in, I, I probably would have reluctantly taken a draw, as, as I think most people would. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with hindsight. <laughs> but um, yeah. so, yeah, so we move on to West Ham. Now, now th- this is a, a weird old Monday night game for many, many reasons, because, um, of course, you finally managed to uh, to get tickets for a <sighs> Chelsea <sighs> game. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and sadly, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. It shows what happens in a week. You know, a week ago, I was tier three, you were tier two, now you're tier four, and I'm still tier three. Mm. So it, it, it couldn't have happened at a worse time for a lot of people. But um, also, there was, a, there was a bit of a, a family element about why it would have been great to go to this West Ham game, isn't there? Yeah, so the West Ham game would have been the uh, 24 years to the day that my eldest son went to his first game, so which was West Ham. And it was the game where Zola took Julian Dix to pieces and scored that amazing goal where he just left Julian Dix in a heap on the floor as he ran at goal. Um, that was his first game. Uh, and he was actually in the programme uh, for the West Ham game talking about it um, because uh, Dominic Bliss, who was involved in writing for the programme, wanted to do a piece on supporters from different decades 
and Harry, my son, was was the support from the nineties talking about that that particular game. So it was quite a nice uh, a, a nice memento of the game to you know to be in there to celebrate your twenty fourth anniversary, um, you know, as as a supporter. Uh, but yeah, I'm bittersweet in the fact that we actually got tickets and then couldn't go. So so frustrating. <laughs> And, yeah. and of course now, and now you have to go back into the ballot. There's no, we'll give you tickets for the next game. Instead, it's like now we go back to square one and we go in the ballot with the thousands of other season ticket holders. Had you paid for the tickets? Do you get refunded? How does yeah, that you work? Paid, you pay and then they refund you. Oh, okay, so yeah, it's even worse then, isn't it? You don't even mm. go. Oh well, I've got Morecambe to look forward to, but I don't. I don't actually I think I'm going to get Morecambe. I know I'm going to get Morecambe. That's, that's what. That's what's going to happen. There won't be any crowds there. I, I don't think we'll see crowds for for quite a while again now. I, I've got no, a I feeling. You're probably, you're probably right. You know, so, yeah, don't worry. You will avoid Morecambe. <laughs> Not, no disrespect to Morecambe, because it would be a lovely day out. Nobody it, wants to go to Morecambe, Kerry. <laughs> Nobody. A, a massive disrespect to Morecambe. Nobody wants to go to that game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so hateful. All the Morecambe-Chelsea blues have just switched off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bless them. Yeah, absolutely. So, mind West- you, we play like we've been playing the last couple of games. We might struggle against Morecambe. Absolutely, and uh, uh, yeah, I, don't we? We have enough history of really mucking things up in the third round over the years. Um, in fact, what's your most um, worrisome cup game that we've lost? Do you think in the third round? I'm going to go for Bradford. Oh, Bradford, obviously Bradford. I mean, that was a really, really good Chelsea side. And, <laughs> you know, we, we completely blew that big time. I mean, that was a ridiculous game. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Um, OK, uh, let's go on to another tiny little side from East London. Um, West Ham. Um, Always now, pecan as well, of course, because as you know, I was born in West Ham. And and all your family are irons, aren't they? They're all irons. Yeah, um, you know I'm I'm a you know Essex boy at birth, and uh, and yeah, born in Barking, which is just down the road uh, from the old Upton Park. Uh, all my family, uh, you know, for for centuries are from Stratford, which is where they are now. So yeah, I mean it's always been a you know slightly you know a slightly interesting game for me, the West Ham game. And do you buy relatives when they have kids Chelsea kit? I wouldn't dare. <laughs> they, they would they would burn them and they would come back to me as, as ashes in a parcel. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so the West Ham team, um, we changed it up a little bit. Were you surprised at the team that Frank put out? Uh, uh, not really. I'm not really surprised at any team he puts out at the moment, to be honest. I mean, obviously, uh, Rhys James was injured. He's got a knee issue, which hopefully isn't as serious as was first thought. There was some talk of him needing a knee operation, but that, that seems to have died down a little bit, and apparently it's just rest. So, uh, as Piliqueta came in uh, at right back, but, uh, but otherwise it was the same back five, um, we saw Jorginho come in for Havertz, he'd had a bit of a mare in the uh, in the previous game, so Jorginho came in, which I thought was a little bit surprised about. I thought Kovacic might get a run in this game. Um, and then Pulisic-Abraham uh, for Giroud and, and, and Werner up front. So a few changes, it looked like a decent team. As I say, Jorginho was the only real head-scratcher in that one. Um, otherwise, I think it reasonably picked itself, given the, 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 the players, um, you know, Abraham in for Giroud. Yeah, I mean, I think that just was uh, was 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 
you know, was tactical as much as anything. Nothing wrong with Giroud's performances, but let's have a little bit more mobility up front. Yeah, uh, for, for me, uh, you know, I I think Jorginho. Sometimes I just think he gets picked for the wrong games, and with the way West Ham's midfield is, which is pretty hefty but also mobile. It just didn't feel like the right game for him. But, you know, he started it worked off... for the first 20 absolutely. minutes. Absolutely, that's just what I was going to say. the first 20 minutes, yeah, because, I mean, we all thought that Mark Noble would come in and do a job on him. We thought Mark Noble would man-mark him, essentially, and not give him space and not give him time. We all know that Jorginho is really effective when he gets time and space, when he can dictate the tempo of the game, when he can play the ball. And for the first 20 minutes... I just thought we played really, really well. Our pressing game was good. Uh, our transitions were good. You know, that word again. Uh, Jorginho had the time to pick the ball up deep and move forward with it and, and play sensible balls, was always uh, ready to receive the pass and an option for the pass. So I think I think it worked really well for the first 20 minutes. And then we just seemed to just run out of steam and stop pressing and allow them to get on the front foot. Yeah, I, and again, it, it comes down to this point. It felt it felt more Mourinho-like than, and I hate comparing him to that, but knowing that Frank learnt from him, it felt like we'd gone one up. I, I also think one of the worst things that happened to us during the game was losing Ben Chilwell. I think seeing him go off and seeing Emerson come in to replace him, Emerson tries hard, but he keeps giving it backwards. He does shirk a challenge as well at times. He turns his back. Um, you know, oh, I don't know, mate. I think that's a little bit harsh. Don't you think? I, don't I you think? think Emerson... I think. I think that's you rubbished Emerson there, and I don't think he had a bad game at all. Oh, I, 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 personally, I th- I thought he had a pretty poor game. I, I'd say he had the worst game for us on the pitch. That just my really, view. Really didn't see that. I mean, we're going to have to disagree on that. Okay, one. no, I thought, fair I thought enough. He, I thought he came and did a job. No, I mean, listen, you're absolutely entitled to your opinion. You know, it's a game of opinions. Other opinions are available, um, but I, I just. Don't see that. I don't see him shirking challenges or, or, or I thought he delivered crosses. I thought he got forward. I thought he did a job. You know, I mean, it was a real shame to lose Chilwell, as you say, because he's been such a great player and obviously he's, he's had ankle injuries um, already this season. So it is a slight concern. I don't know what the prognosis is, but I don't I don't think you can basically say that, you know, that, that Emerson had a terrible game because I don't think he did. Uh, okay, no, fair enough. Uh, but then I also thought Dave had a pretty poor game as well. Well, again, I don't get that at all. I thought he, I thought he was really good. Okay, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. See, we see different things. I thought Zuma had a great game, and I thought Thiago Silva had a great game. Well, I thought Thiago Silva was man of the match. I thought I thought Zuma was was okay. Um, I don't think he had a poor game, but I, I think the defence overall. I mean, we have to look at the clean sheet and say they they did a job. Um, you know, Mendy, apart from one little rush of blood for the hope, thankfully disallowed goal, you know, didn't have an awful lot to do. Um, and I think that. You know, I thought the fullbacks did okay. I don't think they did as well as Chilwell or James would have done, in and because they're the first choice fullbacks. And I think they certainly, from Chilwell's point of view, I think he would have given Werner a lot more support than he got off of Emerson. But I don't think Eva had a poor game, as is evidenced by the clean sheet. Yeah, uh, well, also, yeah, you have to say West Ham, for all their possession, were pretty toothless. Well, they had Halle, uh, Sebastian Haller up front, who, who just is, he's just, he's like a really poor version of Giroud in that he doesn't, he isn't mobile. I mean, he's really good in the air. If he can stand on a, you know, on a particular spot and jump and head it, I mean, he, he scores the occasional wonder goal. Um, so everybody thinks he's an amazing player, but he's just not mobile enough or quick enough. He has no pace. He's easy to mark. Um, you just have to be really, really careful of him in set piece situations. 
Yeah, I, I would actually say he's a really poor version of Andy Carroll. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, okay, that's really putting a flag in the sand. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd chuck that in there. But I, it, it was... I mean, there's a lot to be said for that because there's another player who's really slow, not very mobile, <laughs> dangerous at set pieces and, and prone to the odd wonder goal, you know, yeah. so... Exactly. So, so you know, uh, it, it was a strange performance because, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. 20 minutes, you thought, yeah, well, we should go on to win this 2 or 3-0, <laughs> which is what we did. But the circuitous route we got through to that result was oh, extraordinary. I mean, it's ludicrous. That wasn't. I mean, if, if there's a more flattering scoreline this season... I really want to see it because there was no way a three a three nil game. I mean that's I mean how West Ham must have felt on their coach back to their you know to their East London. Yeah, I mean honestly, I mean they must be scratching their heads going, "How's that three nil?" Uh, you know, it was crazy. I think for the first twenty minutes we we bossed it, then they bossed it for the next twenty minutes, then they bossed it for the first twenty minutes of the second half, and then we managed to get a couple of goals, and then we sort of burgled a three nil win. I mean it was a poor performance overall. Uh, lacking in energy, lacking in in imagination, in creativity, lacking in finishing. I mean, you know, I mean, there was so many negatives in that game. But you know, if you look at three goals and a clean sheet, they're huge positives. So who knows? In crazy times. Well, that that that's absolutely the truth. Because at the end of the day, it just says three nil in the book, and it doesn't matter how you got there. And you no. could also argue we've played a lot better and not got anything uh, this season in, in certain games, but um, or got very little. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And, and it, if Timo, if Timo had had you know taken the three good chances that he got, it could have been five or six nil. You know, which would have been even more ludicrous. Um, but these are the times we live in. And, you know, we've spoken about Timo's hesitancy and nervousness and lack of confidence in front of goal. Um, and, but, you know, if he had been on form, we would have opened them up like a tin of sardines and, and, and it would have been raining goals. But I don't know. It's just ludicrous. When you look at the lethargy and lacklustre nature of our play in that game and the previous game, to come away with a three-goal win, I just, I just can't see it. But but it's all about winning. Ultimately, it's all about winning. And it doesn't matter, as you say, how we got there. It doesn't matter what the performance was like, as long as there are three points at the end of it. Because during a period like this, when game after game is coming thick and fast, you just have to grind out the wins. Yeah, and, and I, I would say our turn in fortune, it, it happened when Kovacic came on. I, I actually thought he suddenly took the game back to them. Um, he's turned into that midfielder who has a little bit of a maraud here and there and suddenly gave them something to think about because they were just on the front foot for so long, able to move to where they wanted to. And suddenly he came in and said, no, nah, we're not, we're not going to do that anymore. So I do think he was actually a key substitution on the night uh, and and it changed once Jorginho came off having as you said played brilliantly for 20 minutes it was time for him to to come off and and perhaps he could have come off a little bit earlier but I, th- I think Kovacic ended up taking us to 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 the 3-0 yeah I mean in, in, in Jorginho's defense he got uh, he got he got um, a mat. He, he basically got closed down after 20 minutes, and they they did what they should have done from the beginning and not give him time and space. He didn't get any 
real support from Mason Mount or Kante in that role, um, and therefore found himself nullified, in which is you know which is not really his fault, you know, because he just found himself you know marked out the game, which is what you do when Jorginho is on the pitch. So I don't, I'm not down on my phone. What I found interesting about Kovacic and the Kovacic substitution, which of course was the right substitution, was that he did what he was supposed to do in that he made an impact because he was an impact sub. And I think when, 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 as previously mentioned, games are coming thick and fast. When you're playing this many games of this intensity at this level and, and of this importance in a period like this, you need when substitutes come on to make an impact, which is why I think Werner, and this was something that, you know, that I discussed with my son, you know, who's, who, who, who sort of positive the thought, which is, you know, maybe Werner is, is an impact sub over these next couple of games, where he comes on um, when when defences are tiring, when midfields are tiring, because he's got that turn of pace, he's got that turn of speed. Against tired defences, I think he could be a real threat. I'm not saying that he's a long-term impact sub, but while he's looking to gain confidence and looking to, to find his way back in, if we've got the players that can come in instead of him, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world for him to come on and make an impact with 20, 30 minutes to go. No, I, I agree. And, and re-structure re, uh, the way he feels about it. Because at the moment, he does look as though he's got a... Whenever he gets the ball and he's near goal, it's almost like he's got a giant speech bubble over his head saying... <gasps> What shall I do next? Uh, and he is instinctive. We've seen that at the beginning of the season. When he's flying, he doesn't think about it. He just whacks it and it goes in. Uh, we know that we create chances later on in the game. We, yeah. we know that. We, we, we evidenced that yesterday with, with Tammy's two goals. We know that, particularly if we've got an early goal, when teams are going to have to come out of their shell and try and get something out of the game, as soon as it opens up for us, we know we've got the players that can get in behind and, and create chances. So late in a game, when you've got, gaps opening up but only if the of course the players you know have done their job in the in the earlier part of the game and got got a goal or two goals on the board coming on with 20 minutes 30 minutes to go and having an opportunity to run at tired opening up defenses and getting a goal or getting two goals could be the thing that flicks the switch for Werner I genuinely yeah. think that. I have no problem. I've got no fears and no doubts about Werner long term. I think he's going to be an absolute goal machine for us. I genuinely think that. We're just going to have to go through this period of figuring out how to get the best out of team up. Yeah, I totally agree. I, for me, he's a class player and class is permanent. And I think he will prove it. Uh, and we'll see. I, I have to say on Tammy, um, I, I would say people say, oh, well, he did what a striker does. Both his goals were taken really, really well, I thought. They really, um, they really, well. Yeah, you they know, really well. At first you go, oh, it's a tap-in. Well, the, they really weren't. He had to do them just right, those shots. And, yeah, Timo I, assist. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. I mean, a massive miss hit, but, you know, an assist nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, you could say Pulisic set Tammy up for the second with that header, although it yeah. was really brave of him to go in with a keeper. Yeah. Um, and and he had been missing an awful lot through the second half of that game. But he looks like be- he's coming back to fitness, doesn't he? He exactly. looks like he's got a little bit of um, just a little bit of something about him again. You know, he took a couple of games to get back to that level of uh, you know sprite like you know magic that he does, and he feels like he's getting back to it. We get back him back. We get Zayech back. We get a nice problem with Werner, Abraham, and Giroud. 
I genuinely think the second half of the season could be really interesting if if we can get those players back playing at the level that we know they're capable of. Absolutely. So, of course, we've now got uh, some major games coming up. Um, we've got Arsenal, Villa, and then we've got Man City. I mean, if, if you ever wanted a tough Christmas, this is it. Because Arsenal's not tough. Well, no, but it doesn't matter, does it? Arsenal, Chelsea, whatever, however either of them are playing, on the whole, is a is a difficult one. Um, I, I hear you. I totally hear you. And and yes, of course, they, they're going to raise their game for any London derby. But we know that this this Arsenal team are as lacking in confidence as we are. And so this shouldn't be perceived as a tough game in inverted commas. This is a game we should win. Villa, they're on a little bit of a roll. We know that they, you know, they can hurt you if you don't play well because they've got some really interesting players in in Grealish and and, and others in that team that are, you know, that are capable of of, of turning games. Uh, Man City we know all about. So so yes, I guess in 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 the round that that's a reasonably difficult set of fixtures, but I'm not having Arsenal with a tough game. We should win that game. Okay. All right. Well, let's have. I, if we don't win it, then it's an issue. I'm not saying we yeah. will win it. I'm saying we should win it because Arsenal aren't good enough. No, they aren't. They're, they're dreadful, but they often raise their game to play us. I, mean, I accept that. I do we, accept that. Yeah, yeah we will see. It, it's it's a nasty game, but it's the, exactly the kind of game that I'm hoping that nobody in the ground will suit us more than them. So okay, um, and and also we have got agents William and Luis in there doing their stuff. Said, and well, they're both they both had a bit of a bit of a mare, haven't they? William particularly, they don't like him at all because you know, funnily enough, he hasn't got a final product. <laughs> which we which we could have told we could have told him that you know I mean you you can't fault Williams' work rate and he will come up in a big game and do something special but you know game after game as soon as he crosses the halfway line and gets anywhere near the eighteen yard box we know he hasn't got a final product and I think Arsenal fans are just discovering that and it's very frustrating for them as it yeah. was for us. Absolutely, and you only have to look at how many goals we've we've scored from corners this season to realise that that's true. How many uh, goals is it? Eight or nine goals we've scored from nine, corners Nine, I now? think, isn't it? It's amazing, isn't it? It's well, amazing that we just are a massive threat from corners now. Mason Mount. Yeah. You know, he, he well, puts And it. Emerson. And Emerson takes a really good corner as well. Yeah, he does, actually. Um, all right, so let's have the Christmas prediction time, please. With We're going to smash Arsenal. Okay. Smash them. 3-0. <laughs> I don't know. It's well, hopeful. It's my that, little Christmas, my little Christmas present to everybody. We're going to smash them. It's going to be 3-0. Does that, is that the same sort of smashing as the 3-0 against West Ham? I don't care, as long as it's 3-0. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know. No, listen, I, I, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it all bets are off in any London derby. You know, we've got those former players that are going to want to do well against us. There's a lot of variables. It's two teams lacking in confidence, but two teams that are capable of, of uh, scoring goals if they raise their game. We can't argue about the fact that Aubameyang's a decent player, Lacazette's a decent player. They just haven't been decent players this season. Doesn't mean they're not going to flip a switch and become the goal-scoring threats that they were last season at all. So we have to be aware of that. I, I think that if you look at two teams that are lacking in confidence, they're more lacking in confidence than us. And we're more capable of raising our game than they are. So that, that's what I'm basing my ludicrous prediction on. Okay, well, mine's even more ludicrous. I'm going for a Boxing Day weird one. I'm going to go Chelsea 3, Arsenal 2. We're not going to concede goals against them. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Thing. I mean, can I just remind you of you t- 
texting me last night about feeling confident before I, that you weren't worried what, about what the West the, Ham. What was the score? <laughs> Three nil. Bits well, there you we go. Got then. What are you on about? Feeling confident, but we're going to win. We won 3-0. What are you on about? It's the journey that was painful to get It's there. always about the destination. <laughs> See, for me, it's always about the journey. Anyway, okay. Right, Villa. A, a far more serious game, I think. Weird side. They, they keep going in little spasms of being really, really good. And then, uh, you know, disappearing for a bit. But they're in form at the moment. Yeah, they're they're not a bad team uh, at all. Obviously, they've got the, the JT factor as well. Um, they, uh, you know, they're, they're they're doing pretty well. I mean, there's there's no arguing uh, about the fact that they're probably uh, punching above their weight. They're ninth in the table at the moment on twenty two points. They're only three points behind us. So, you know, who knows? I mean, they've lost their last couple of games in the league. So it's you know, it's an interesting one. I think that um, you know we we have to we have to be very careful about teams like Villa and and not not take them for granted. I think we can still got enough. I don't think it'll be a you know as as uh, as expansive a win as we're going to make. Whereas we're going to win over Arsenal, but I think we can scrape that one one nil. Okay, I'm I'm going to go for two one Chelsea. Okay, um, I, I I love the fact that. Basically, what you're saying is we can take Arsenal for granted, <laughs> but we can't take Villa. Who would have thought? What a strange world this is. Um, but yeah, I, I'll go with that. I, I think actually, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go three nil Chelsea. Actually, I, I, I think I think we get on a roll. If we win at Arsenal, we will get on a roll. I, I do think with uh, with this side that we've got at the moment, everything is about confidence, and I think mm. we've got. Players with fragile confidence, but you can easily get the swagger back. Just the last couple of minutes against West Ham, suddenly there were different types of passes going on, different types of movement. I think I think this team is only one decent win away from actually turning back into the side we know we've had. They've been interrupted so badly, as so many teams have this season, with, with the way the team can stay together, who's fit and everything. But let's see. Finally, it's Man City. I just want to just, just make oh. a correction of, of, of something I said. Aston Villa haven't lost their last two games. They've actually uh, they beat West Brom at the weekend, drew 0-0 with Burnley before that, and then beat Wolves 1-0 before that. But before that, they had two losses against West Ham uh, and against Brighton. So, you know, they're a little bit up and down, but they're, they're on a, a, a sort of a, a small run of form. So we, we've got to take them seriously. Yeah, no, we do. And uh, Man City, finally. Um, they're a good team. They are a good team. Again, you would say they're lacking in a certain confidence and a certain amount of form. Will it... They they often raise their game against us. Uh, I think it'll be a tough one. I I can see this one as being a one-all draw. Yeah, I was going to say draw. I was going to say draw because I think that they are decent. They seem to have got a little bit of momentum going. Um, you know, although if you look at their last five games, they won their last game, two draws before that, and then won their previous two. They're not losing, but they look like they uh, they 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 look, look look like they can they can grind out results. So and and we know that they've got so much firepower. I do think they're a little bit iffy at the back. I think that you know that's the one advantage that we do have is we do create chances and we can get at them. Um, so I, I think we can get something out of the game, but I'm going to go draw. I'm going to say two two high scoring game. 
Okay, uh, I, I don't see him scoring that many. I think that at the moment, and it can be levelled at us, that they're, they're a flat-track bully in certain ways. I think they're missing a striker. Without Aguero, um, I think they really miss somebody in the box who really does it. Um, so, but, but we'll see. I, I think it's going to be an interesting Christmas. Uh, mm. I don't think we can take anything for granted, as we're saying. But it is going we to be... We can take seven points out of nine. I'd be very happy. Absolutely, I'll go for that. All right, Andy. Well, we've we've reached the end of this year. Um, what a year it's been! What a year it's been. We're still here, and uh, you know that's that's one of the main things I think. Um, yeah. And we carry on. So it's been great. This year's been fantastic. Thank you for chatting with me. You know, and guffing on as we have done. I hope it hasn't driven everyone away in droves. <laughs> the stuff we talk. So thank everyone for, for listening. Thank you all for listening. Um, I do hope everyone has a fantastic Christmas uh, and we get a lot of decent points and decent games out of Chelsea this Christmas period. So, Andy, if people want to get in touch with us, what's the best way? Yeah, you can get in touch with us on socials. Uh, on Twitter, it's uh, at Chelsea Podcast, uh, or you can follow me on at Mr. A Saunders, or you can follow Kerry on at Kerry Levy, C E R I L E V Y. On Instagram, it's at The Chelsea Podcast, uh, and it's at One True Saunders, and it's at Kerry Levy One. That's your that's your socials. Uh, all feedback gratefully received. Yeah. But only if it's really, really nice. Only if it's nice. Don't, don't. Yeah, if it's not, save it. Save it. To, keep it to yourself. Yeah, or, or just give it to Andy because he deals with the the abuse better than I do. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Andy. Uh, all I can say to you is Merry Blue Christmas. Um, I hope to see you uh, sooner than later in the real world. It would be nice at some point. Um, everyone, take care of yourselves. Have a merry, merry blue Christmas. Yeah, happy Christmas, everybody. We'll see you in the new year. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.